I spent too much time on that point doing research because it was just so funny looking at all the people who have won silver medals in the Olympics at all their upset faces. It was hysterical. Um, I saw YouTube things and it was so funny. But I, I, I studied further on it. I've got a silver medal here. Uh, I studied further on it and there's actually a study that says that people who win silver medals in the Olympics are actually less happy than the people who won bronze. When you see a person who won gold, they're like, or cry. You see a person who won bronze, they're like, and then the person who won silver, <laughs> upset. And there's actually a, a social scientific study that was done uh, by the name of Vicki uh, Medvek, a professor at Northwestern University. And, and she studied and she realized that silver medalists, the reason why they're upset is they realize how close they were to winning gold. But the bronze... They realize how close they were to not getting anything at all. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. And so she put this together, this, this theory, that, that your focus determines your reality. What you focus on determines your reality because the objective circumstances in your life seem to be subordinate, if you will, to the, 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 the feeling, the, the attitude that you have. So the objective circumstances are subordinate to your attitude, your perspective. In other words, the way you feel and the way you think is more important than what is actually happening. Um, all of us know people in our life that they can be going through a very difficult situation, but yet have such an amazing perspective. They can be positive in the middle of a storm. Does anyone know anybody like that? I mean, all hell can be breaking loose, and they would say, you know, but I tell you what, God is good. And you're like, what? Does anyone know anybody like that? It's like, are you serious right now? I've gone to visit people in the hospital before, and I'm building myself up in the elevator. God, they need me to encourage them. Help me, help me. They need me to encourage them. I walk in there, and then they encourage me. And then I get back in the elevator, and I feel silly because they encouraged me, and I'm like, man, I totally failed just now. I went in there to encourage them. They encouraged me because they're the kind of person that it doesn't matter what's happening to them, they are going to see the best side of it. They've got a positive perspective on life. On the flip side of the coin, there are those people that everything can be going well and they will find something wrong. Are you with me? They'll find something wrong. It's like, are you serious right now? I've met people before where I thought, man, this just happened in their life. They are going to be so thrilled. No! 
It's like, seriously, are you kidding me? Everything revolves around focus. Now, why am I teaching on this topic? Is it because I want to give you life skills? No. You can figure out life skills on your own. Uh, Do I want to teach you how to win friends and influence people? No. You can figure that out on your own. You can watch Oprah or Dr. Phil to do that. Why am I talking about focus? Because it is of paramount importance that we remain laser focused on the spiritual things of this world. Laser focus. Let me just tell you, the enemy, when he goes fishing, he's got a tackle box. Okay, when you go fishing, you have a tackle box. Okay, you open up the tackle box and you're like, what do I want to catch today? Well, I want to catch bass. So you pull out a certain lure for bass. Or I want to catch a a catfish. I want to eat the thing that sucks up all the trash on the bottom of the lake. That's it, but... So, or you'll look at the lake and you're like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of seaweed in that lake. I need to get a, what do you call those, top, top, uh, skimmers, skimmers, thank you, (laughs) ma'am. You get a skimmer, or if you're like, oh, I want to go get, I want, I want my, uh, this guy taught me how to hook um, uh, a a worm, they called it wacky style. Where you, you put it halfway through the worm or, or this fake worm and, and back up. And when you cast it, it kind of goes like this and it looks, it looks like it's alive. Some of you guys that are fishers are like, Frankie, get back to the Bible. You sound like an idiot. <laughs> I know, I'm a city slicker. But here, here's the reality that when you fish, you look at the environment. You look at the fish that you're trying to catch and you determine the lure, the bait. Do you know that we have got to keep our focus because the enemy comes into your life. He looks at your life. He looks at you and he determines what bait is going to work best for you. And he does not matter. He does not care if you have $10 million in the account. That might be the bait that works for you. It's money, 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 honey, 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 bunny. I don't know how bunny got in there. A honey bunny. But he does not, he does, he uses different lures, different tactics for all of us. The only thing that he cares about is getting our focus off of God. Sometimes he will use good lures, good things, like going to college. That's a good thing. Spending time with the family. That's a good thing. Working hard. That's a good thing. Exercising and working out, that's a good thing. He will use good things to distract you from God things. He doesn't always use bad things. Everybody thinks that the way that he's going to distract you is to try to get you addicted to something. No, 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 no. He doesn't have to get you addicted to something bad. He can get you addicted to something good just as long as he has your focus. He wants Your focus wants to know what are you consumed with. And what God wants is he wants you consumed with your assignment in your life. And he wants to live your assignment with you. Uh, The CEO of of Chick-fil-A, what's his name? Kathy. 
Kathy, uh, what's his first name? Anyone know his first name? Truett, Truett, Truett Kathy. They, they asked him, he said that his calling on his life is chicken. I thought I read it wrong. But it's actually, he says chicken. God has called me to the chicken business. And I was like, well, oh my goodness, I got to keep on reading. This guy's lost his mind. But he realized that God has anointed him in that business path to strengthen his position in life, to give him influence in life. And so as he began to launch his business, which is an anointed business, can somebody say amen? Oh my goodness. I, don't, I, I love the fact that he's closed on Sundays, but does he have to be closed all day on Sunday? <laughs> like, that's a little extreme, right? Like, let's go to church, and then let's open that bad boy up. I need me some waffle fries. <laughs> but anyway, he realized that if I stay focused on God, I pursue what he's called me to do, I'm not doing the restaurant business without him, I'm doing it with him. Are you with me? To run in parallel with the Lord. To be laser focused on him. A lot of times we say, I'm going to be laser focused on my business and Lord, will you bless it? Uh-uh, that's not how it works. It works like this. Lord, I'm going to be laser focused on you. I will seek first the kingdom of God and then he will add all these things unto you. So to be Focus about our soul, to be focused about our passion for him. You know what? I got to tell you, in all honesty, I was driving to church this morning. I was like, dear Lord, it's July 4th weekend, and I love our country. Does everyone here love our country? Love our country. Independence, my goodness, the, the fact that we fought for our nation, to, for it to be birthed, it's just a beautiful thing. But I thought to myself, Lord, would you just let at least four people come to church today? The weather is beautiful. It's a long weekend. Oh, my goodness, God, please let four people come to church today. Look at this place. It's a completely packed house because what is happening? Even though we have a long weekend, even though the weather is beautiful, at the top of your list today is pursuing God. And I want to tell you, sometimes we try to have a great weekend and not prioritize God. I'm just going to speak this in your life. You're going to have a great day today. You're going to have a phenomenal day today. You start your day off with God. You start your week off with God. You keep him laser focused and watch everything else fall into place. You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, the apostle Paul uh, was preaching one day and uh, all of a sudden uh, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, they attacked him. There were soldiers, Roman soldiers. They attacked him. A mob of people attacked him. Started hitting him with sticks. And they chained him up. And um, they threw him into jail. His back was black and blue. His buddy, uh, Silas, uh, he was black and blue, bleeding. They threw him in jail. And uh, here, I'll read it to you. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, um, it reads like this, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials 
ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods, stripped them naked, humiliated. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks, in the stocks. You know, here they are preaching. They're doing the best they know how to do and their circumstances just get worse. I don't know about you, but have you ever said, God, I've been going to church I've been given my tithes and offerings. I've been more consistent than I've ever been. And look, my life is getting worse. Has anyone ever thought that? It's getting worse. Do you know that Satan can see angels coming towards you with blessings? Did you know that? In the book of Daniel, there's this young man named Daniel praying and God sent an angel to go bless Daniel. But a demon saw the angel coming out of heaven, coming down to Daniel, and he flew up and met the angel in the air and was fighting the angel to keep the angel from coming to Daniel. Gabriel, the angel that was coming, he's not a fighting angel. He's a messenger angel. And so he was lucky to have a sword. So he's fighting this guy, and so he calls for help. He looks to the heavens and calls for help. Michael, the archangel, bad dude. <laughs> Don't mess with, Michael is the man. He comes down, pow. The angel comes down and blesses Daniel, and Daniel, had, he, after he prayed for 21 days, the angel showed up. <laughs> He said, you know, the moment you started praying, God sent me. But a demon met me in the air to keep me from coming to you. Do you know when tough things are happening to you, when bad things are happening to you, write this scripture down. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. It says, because of the great door of opportunity, an enemy has formed himself against you. When you start pursuing God, when you draw that line in the sand and say, I am going to be faithful, hell or high water, I'm going to be faithful to God, I'm going to be focused like I've never been before, doors of opportunity begin to open for you in the spiritual realm, blessings begin to come into your life, but hell is not going to take that laying down. Hell sees those angels. Hell sees those blessings. It comes bursting out of the lake of fire and begins to rattle your life. And so this is exactly what happened to Paul and Silas. They were doing good. They were doing the best they knew how to do. And all of a sudden, hell comes with full force. The next time you feel like all hell is breaking loose, the next time you feel like, man, I'm doing the best I know how to do, and look what's happening, hear my words echo in your spirit. It's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you're doing something right. And hell has formed an opposition against you. You just stay steady. You just hang on. Sometimes I call it the white knuckle anointing. 
you just hang on until your knuckles turn white. You just hang on because God is on your side. And so here, Paul and Silas are in prison. They're bleeding. They're black and blue. Now, let me read to you what happened. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. They were whining and moaning. It's in the Frankie International Version. I don't know if you've ever bought that Bible before. (laughs) You know, it it, it doesn't say that at all, does it? It, They were so depressed, they went and ate 12 gallons of bluebell ice cream. (laughs) They were so mad at God that they decided they were never going to talk or pray again. That is not what it says. It actually says this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. You know, something I've challenged myself on is to talk about the Lord outside of this church as much as I do inside of this church. Uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I got so convicted because I was seeing people in our church bringing more friends to church than I was, and I was the pastor. And I was like, enough of that. I'm going to bring more people to church than anyone in this building, and nobody's keeping stats, but I'm just going to know that I'm doing my share. So over the last year and a half, two years, I've brought more people to church than I have in the previous five all put together. Just really, but here's the thing. We got to make sure that we are explosive about our faith and what we believe. Here's Paul and Silas. They're sitting in jail and they're sitting there singing their hearts out. They didn't care who. Now, here in our church, we'd appreciate it if you don't sing too loud. (laughs) Have you ever stood in front of a loud worshiper? Oh, I'm talking to you, aren't I? (laughs) I've had people singing so loud in my ear, God is good. I am a friend of God. And I'm like, man, I can't even think you're singing so loud. (laughs) Have you ever been around that person? Well, anyway, here's Paul and Silas. They're worshiping. They don't, there's unbelievers, uh, people that don't believe in God all throughout the prison, all throughout the jail. They're singing their hearts out. I want, I want us, when we leave this place, every single week to realize that the most important thing we do is to make sure that we have great importance on the Great Commission. That is the only assignment God gave all of us, was to go out into the world and tell people about Him, bring people to church, make disciples. That is the only assignment that he gave all of us to take it serious. So all of a sudden, what ends up happening is Paul and Silas, and if you're taking notes, while they were focusing on God, they began to zoom out. Anytime I feel myself emotionally or spiritually hit a dry place or get discouraged, it is because I'm looking at my situation from a micro view instead of a macro view. I had somebody the other day rip me to pieces. It was last Monday. uh, It was last Monday. 
I came home, and Allie said, what's wrong with you? And I said, man, somebody just tore me to pieces, just gave me a piece of their mind. And I was so down. I went to bed early. I laid in bed in the fetal position. I had the covers around me. It was dark. I had the lights down. The fan was on. The air conditioning was blowing. It was 7 o'clock, and I'm laying in bed like this. I took it so bad. And Allie comes in. She had to put all three kids to bed herself because I was in bed whining. Nobody loves me. I'm not a good leader. I'm terrible. God, you ought to just bring me to heaven now and replace me with some. I'm just, oh, God, help me. Allie gets into bed. She gets in, crawls under the covers. She goes, are you serious right now? Are you being serious? I am being It was so mean. No, 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 no. Your whole life is going bad because of one person who said something mean. Your whole world, you got three beautiful kids and a lovely wife. And (laughs) your whole world is going bad. I was like, but you don't understand. No, you don't understand. She just starts laying into me. That's two in one day. But it starts... Laying into me. I can't believe you are acting like this over one person. I'm laying there. I'm like, just laying into me. Are you serious? You are acting like this over one person? One, one person? (laughs) Do you know what I had done? I had zoomed in so tight on my problem that that one situation had unfolded. It was like shaking a bottle of root beer. And it was just going everywhere, going into different areas of my life. I was a crummy husband. I was a crummy daddy. I was a crum- I didn't even like being around me. Have you ever been there? I had gone so down, just like, what had happened is I needed to zoom out. You know, I read this study. It's so fascinating. It was, it's in the book Mindfulness, written by Ellen Legner. She says that all of us have a premeditated cognitive commitment. A premeditated cognitive commitment. Premeditated means you have already made that decision before you arrive. Cognitive is in your mind, and it's, you're committed to it. So you are committed, all of us are committed to thinking a certain type of way, regardless of what situation we're in. Another term is called a bias. A, 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 you have a, a, uh, a confirmation bias. You look for information to support what you already believe. You read one thing, I read another thing, you find the information that you want to build your belief system, and I find it to build my belief system. Everyone has a confirmation bias. 
And so there's people that will go into a situation and not zoom out to be able to see the entire picture, which is a very frightening thing. Because in the same study, it said that people talk to themselves around 50,000 times a day. You talk to yourself 50,000 times a day. Out of the 50,000 thoughts that you think to yourself in a day, roughly 80% of those thoughts are negative. 80%. Can you believe that? That's just approximately, I wasn't planning on throwing this out there. I'm just going to spitball it. That's approximately, what, 40,000 negative thoughts that you're chewing on yourself? 40,000? Is that right math? I don't know. Don't figure it out. That's a, that's a lot of ne- in one day. In, in the, the, the cognitive, the premeditated cognitive commitment is that it's constantly going back into that direction. Constantly, constantly. doesn't matter. You can be a Six Flags Astroworld and it will find something negative, which is not hard to do at Six Flags. <laughs> Just never mind. <laughs> There's this young uh, college girl that builds my case. She tried to get her parents to zoom out and take it easy on her. Um, this story kind of floated around the internet. Some of you may have heard it, but it says, Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you because of the fire in my dorm set off by student riots. I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with this older guy and we have moved in together I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant and he got fired because of his drinking problem so we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our baby your loving daughter P.S. none of this really happened but I did flunk my chemistry class and wanted to keep things in perspective Just want, let's zoom out. Everybody say, zoom out. You know, all of us can come up with different tricks, different ways of zooming out. I read this other article about this U.S. sniper that he said the hardest part was not carrying around heavy equipment. The hardest part was not moving around so slowly that nobody could see me. He said the hardest part was being able to stay focused. And he said, and so what I I would do is I had this routine called S-L-L-S. And it stands for stop, look, listen, and smell. So he would be in a mountain or be on top of a building and he would stop. He'd begin to look at his environment listen and he said sometimes I would just listen to a bird or listen to a cricket and just listen to something that I wasn't paying attention to before he goes I'd even go so far as just to smell my environment he goes and this would help me and I'm going to use my own vernacular this would help me zoom out from the moment 
and retain a proper focus. I don't know what your trick can be. I don't know what my own trick will be as I develop this truth in my own personal life. But the reality is, is that we've got to zoom out. And then the number two thing is to apply what Paul and Silas did is they chose to worship. Now, why is it choosing to worship? Because we are either worriers or worshipers. You're one of two, you're in one of two categories. Now, it's interesting when I made these notes, I thought to myself, no man in the room is going to go, I'm a worrier. Or maybe some. So I'm going to use a different word, stress. You're either a stressor or a worshiper. You either get stressed out or you worship out. It's, it's either one or the other. Because here's the thing, stress is when you, here's a, defi- a working definition of stress. Stress is when you look into the future and you don't see God working there. That's stress. When you don't know what the outcome is going to be. A worshiper backs up just like Paul and Silas and says, I cannot control him. I can't control her. I can't control that. I can't open that door. I can't close that door. But what I do know is that when I close my eyes, I begin to zoom out from my situation and recognize that the one that I am standing before orders the wind and the waves, that he holds planets in its orbit, that he causes wind to go from this direction and that direction, that every person who breathes is actually sucking in a gift from God. I am standing before the creator of the universe. And do you know that the creator of the universe said that you are the apple of his eye? What does the apple of an eye mean? It is the center of his attention. See, all of us here, you have a peripheral view, but you can only focus in on one thing. Whatever you focus in on is called the apple of your eye. He says you are the apple of his eye. He is constantly looking at you. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you stand up. He knows when you're worried. He knows when you're upset. He knows when you're happy. And he longs to be a part of our life. And so when we decide to worship and back up and say, Dear Lord, I love you. And can I just say this? For those of you that have never worshipped before, You cannot worship wrong. The definition of worship is putting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God. What comes out of your mouth is just an echo of your mind's attention and your heart's affection. So you can say the same words and adjectives over and over and over again if you'd like. Because it's just an echo of your mind's attention and your heart's affection. So you can worship like saying, I love you, 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 I thank you. And once you do that, you begin to put everything else in its proper perspective. And can I just say this? Some of you in this room that don't know how to worship, don't feel bad about that. Because God is very excited about introducing you to that type of relationship. But on the other side of the pendulum, there are many of you in this room 
that you know how to worship. You know how to worship passionately. You were raised that way. You went through seasons of your life where you worshiped with passion, with every fiber in your body as if there was no one else in this world. You know how to worship. You've cried out before God before. And I just want to say, if it has been too long, that needs to change. If it has been too long, you say, well, what's too long? You know what too long is. Too long is different for everybody, and you know if it's been too long for you. It is so important that we worship on a regular basis. We cannot survive without worshiping God. We cannot survive without calling on God. You say, what do you mean you can't survive? The first thing that will go away is your passion for Him. The Bible says that in the last days, the hearts of many will grow cold and people will become lovers of themselves. If you don't worship God, the first thing that will happen is a spirit of criticalness will come into you. You'll begin to listen to preachers and look at the Bible and look at church. And whereas you once were a worshiper and now you're a skeptic, you're either a worshiper, a worrier, or a stressed out skeptic. I want to challenge you. Take your pulse. Where's your heart? Is it starting to get cold? Is it starting to get hard? Is it starting to get critical? Is it starting to get skeptical? I just want to tell you, these signs are an indication that hell has been creeping into your life. And I want to tell you that the moment you raise your hands, the moment you close your eyes, the moment you say, Jesus, it's like hell runs away like a pack of ants. It just runs away and you begin to feel a sense of freedom and a sense of excitement, not stress, not worry, not concern, not depression, because you have zoomed out. You've chosen to worship. Now, what's fascinating is, is when we worship, we expect a breakthrough. And that's point number three. You expect a breakthrough. It's so amazing. While Paul and Silas were worshiping, all of a sudden, the jail cell began to shake. Angels unlocked it and began to walk in and reached down and unlocked the fastened chains around their ankles. I don't know about you, but I have already reached the place in my life that I know that I cannot fix certain problems in my life. There are certain chains that I cannot unlock. Some of you are already there. If you're a teenager, you might think that every problem you have, you can fix. But after you live a little bit of life, you realize that if you could fix it, you would have already. And what you need is you need God. You need the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to open up certain unlocked doors and, and take off unlocked chains. You need the Holy Spirit. Is anyone here that needs the Holy Spirit? You need the Holy Spirit. Come on, let me see your hand. Absolutely. You need God. And so the angels escorted Paul and Silas out. You expect a breakthrough. This is a very important note. When you worship, it may not fix your problem, but it will change your life. Did you hear that? 
Sometimes when we worship, we worship like this. I love you, I love you, and then we look to see if the problem is still there. I love you, I love you, and then we look to see if that person is still a jerk. I'm I'm worshiping you, now make this person nice. I'm worshiping you, now get me hired. I'm worshiping you, now give me a raise. I'm worshiping, the problem may not go away, but your life will get better. See, God has already zoomed out. He's already zoomed out, and he sees that the problem in our life has an expiration date on it. It may last one week. It may last one year. It may last five years. We, we don't know, but what he's saying is, I see your entire life. I see the assignment on your life, and you're about to go into a season where you don't have to wonder if that's me talking to you or if that's you talking to you. I feel like I'm prophesying to somebody right now. You won't have to guess anymore. You will know my voice. I don't know about you, but if I can hear his voice crystal clear, if I can feel his touch like I feel this jacket on my back, there's not too many problems I'm not willing to face. If I can have the presence of God blow across my face like a cool wind on a Saturday morning. I will take that over anything else in this world. To be able to lay down and dream dreams and wake up and see visions. To be able to be in this world but not part of this world. I don't know. Am I talking to anybody or am I completely in left field right now? You see, here's the thing. We can look at the Bible and we can look at our relationship with God as some religious church thing that we just kind of show up and punch in and punch out. Or we can look at it the way God intended for us to look at it. That it is a relationship with the creator of the universe and he wants to talk with you and live with you and infiltrate your life and saturate your life. Church is not a thing you do. Church is a thing that is inside of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you Jesus. Give me just a few more minutes. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards. How is he going to reward you? I don't know. Is he going to give you this back? I don't know. Is he going to take that away finally? I don't know. Is he going to cause it? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, that his rewards are amazing. Here's another verse for you to hang on to in James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you know, in my own life, I think to myself, well, if I'm going to pray, I might as well pray fervently. If I'm going to do it, I might as well do it. Let me explain what I mean. I haven't said this in a few months. When you say your prayer over your food, That's a level one on the intensity scale. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food and bless it unto my body. Now that alone brings some questions up that I don't have time to chase. What exactly are we saying? Bless it unto my body. Take this waffle and this syrup and when it goes in me, just let it be blessed so well. 
Is that what we're saying? Let it be blessed, Lord. Take all the calories away. <laughs> Don't let me get fat. Let me get a six-pack. Just bless it on my body. Just bless, bless it under my body. Let me have no caloric punishment, Lord. Just no. No caloric punishment. You know, in the, in the Garden of Eden, Allie, keep, keep my place because I'm getting lost now. Do you know in the Garden of Eden, there was no caloric punishment? They could eat all the apple pie they wanted to and not gain one pound. Did you know that? You say, I don't think that's in the Bible. Of course it's in the Bible. The Bible says this, that Adam and Eve walked around naked and were not ashamed. <laughs> they could eat whatever they wanted. They weren't. You can fill in the blank yourself. And then they had to have the bright idea of eating the one tree that they shouldn't eat. And now ever since we have, Lord, bless this food under my body. <laughs> oh, boy. Y'all didn't even need all. We didn't even need that, Pastor. I just got all over the place. But here's the thing. On the intensity scale, when you pray, dear Jesus, bless this food under my body, on the intensity scale, that's a level one. What this scripture is saying in James chapter 5 is the effectual, fervent prayer. In other words, that's a level one. Thank you, Lord, for my Fruit Loops. Blessing into my body. Then that's fine for Fruit Loops. But when you turn off the radio in your car, when you go into an empty bathroom and shut the door and you don't even need to use the bathroom, but you just need a quiet place where you can get alone, if you're going to pray, you might as well pray fervently. You might as well pray, dear, it doesn't matter if you use one word or a thousand words. I've done it both ways. Just. That's right. You don't even want to see me pray in my room by myself. I look like I am warming up for a boxing match. My eyes are closed and I'm going, Satan, you will not come in my house. You will not. I rebuke you. God rebukes you. My mama rebukes you. Everybody. If you're going to pray, you might as well pray fervently and expect a breakthrough. Expect something to happen. There are times where we are blessed. My wife and I are blessed. And I was like, man, I wasn't even praying for that. Because the Bible says that he rewards those who diligently seek him. He'll give you things that you weren't even praying for. You weren't even praying for that. I'm like, my good, praise the Lord. God is good. Oh, my goodness. We've got to zoom out. Everybody say zoom out. Zoom out. Choose to worship. Expect a breakthrough. This is the last thought. If someone will come up and play the keys or the piano or whatever you feel like showing off with. <laughs> In John chapter 9, there's this guy who was born blind. Jesus walked up to him and healed him. The man started worshiping him. Because he healed him, he worshiped him. Paul and Silas worshipped him and then God blessed him. In the first case, the man worshipped him 
because he blessed them. In the second case, they worshipped him because they knew the blessing was coming. I just want to challenge us as a church family. Let's have enough faith to not just stand around and say, I'll worship you when you bless me. Let's have enough faith to say, God, you were taking care of me while I was ignoring you. You were taking care of me when I was seven or eight years old, when that guy came, that evil man came. You were taking care of me, and I didn't even know you yet. You were taking care of me when I had nothing else. I had you. And if you took care of me all those years, I'm going to worship you right now. Effectively and fervently. Because I know it's coming. I know it's coming. It might come in one day. It might come in one week. It might come in one year. I just know that you have already zoomed out and you know the perfect timing. And I just pray in the name of Jesus and the life of everyone here that you would not become weary. You would not become tired in doing well. Sometimes we can get tired in doing the right thing. I pray in the name of Jesus that every person here, you would not get weary in doing well. That God will make you strong. He will make your vertebrae like steel. I speak in your life that your shoulders would be broad. That your chin will be up. That, that your eyes will be tightly closed. So that you can block everything else out except for the Father that loves you, that saw your face and knew your name before he created the world. He knew you. He knew you. He didn't see you. He knew you. And now we get to live the rest of our lives getting to know him. In the name of Jesus, let's all stand to our feet for me, please.